Uh, so, Jack, with your coming, I'm reminded that it's almost been two years since my family uh, and I came back from California to come to Ohio. And, of course, you know, the primary reason we came back was the weather. <laughs> no, okay, we came back because there are many people here that I love and the church I love uh, and really God's call. Uh, but it, it's a joy to see um, what God has been doing. I, I was reflecting as I was preparing for this series, and in all these years I've been in ministry, I can't think of another time where I have directly seen God intervene in the way that he has throughout this whole process. Uh, you've now, uh, of course, had a chance to meet Keon, and we all love Keon, a brilliant young man, gifted by God. God brought Keon to BPC, and then he, myself, the elders, we started praying to say, well, okay, we have these resources you provided now, God. We got the talent, we got this campus. What do you want us to do? And God made it really clear that we're to plant this church, all right? And I want to clarify that when I came, I didn't have in my back pocket, this is what we're going to do. God brought this about. And I, I use the words thrust upon us. I, I mean, I, I really feel like God is the one who brought this to us. And Kian, I think, would say the same thing because, where is he? Where he went, sorry, okay. Because you were ready to plant a church in Shaker Heights until I said, you know what, maybe God has something else on the table for us. Uh, and God showed us this different plans, and to his credit, he said, okay. And so now here we are, uh, Caucasian pastor, African-American pastor, largely white church, largely black church. Uh, what, what are we going to do to bring all this together? spending, you know, this whole possibility of thinking of all that God's doing. It's all really exciting. But from the very beginning, Ken and I realized that if this is going to work, there's probably going to need to be some challenging discussions somewhere along the way because historically and, and just where we find ourselves is there's been woundings. Woundings between and within the church because of racism. Um, racism, I, you know, I, I, just as Ken was saying, that it's been all over, it's flooded, the news. Um, I don't need to tell you that there's been incidents of police brutality, immigration has raised issues of whether there's uh, discrimination within uh, our policies and, of course, the Black Lives Movement. Um, but it not only uh, affects our culture, racism also impacts our churches. Um, scripture makes it clear that God's vision is that there is one church, but that's not where we find ourselves. I want you to think about just for a moment how strange it is that we use the word black church or white church or fill it in, that we would put an adjective before this, somehow emphasizing that we are not all together as one. How did we ever get here? Well, the answer to that question is long, complicated, and it's sad. And over the next three weeks, I'm not gonna be able to extensively answer that in full, 
but we're going to offer an introduction uh, that I think is going to open this discussion in ways that is going to help us to not only prepare for what God wants to do through our churches, but also to bring healing in our lives. And so we're calling this series, Be the Bridge, not only to emphasize this new church plant, Bridge City, but also to emphasize our role in how we can contribute to this. Um, and so what we're gonna talk about is how the scriptures point us toward healing and what the scriptures have to say about racism and how we can respond as a church. And just as you heard, I won't be able to cover everything here on a, uh, on a Sunday, and so the pastor chats we hope are gonna fill in some of the blanks, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. Uh, and then we're also gonna have some recommended resources that I would ask for you to prayerfully consider taking some time to read and explore uh, that the pastors have put together. Now, as we begin this, let's just take some time to pray, shall we? Father, this is not uh, an easy subject, and it's one where there is a whole lot of hurt. And Father, we would ask that you would guide us through this, and that only as you can, that you would bring, bring wisdom and healing and wholeness. And we ask this through the powerful name of the one who brought us that, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so let me begin by just naming the elephant in the room, okay? Is this even something we should be talking about at church? Is this something especially we should be talking about at worship? Now, you might think that that's just an odd question, but that's exactly what somebody asked me last week. They said, shouldn't we be talking about the gospel instead of talking about these social issues? And, you know, not to mention, Pastor, look, haven't we elected a black president? And, and aren't most of our laws now, we've, we've, we've made them mostly equal? And, and frankly, look, I'm just, we're tired. Tired, tired of hearing and talking all about this stuff. That's one perspective. Um, and I want to say with this, is this a gospel issue? Is this something we should be talking about? Then there's some people who would say, yes, this is something that the church has to talk about, but it's really not a gospel issue. It's something that is kind of a side issue. Now, it's important for us to address because it's wrong um, but we have to focus on salvation and the preaching of the gospel and making sure that people come to know Jesus Christ and let's not get too distracted by these things. It's like racism. And I have to confess to you, that was my perspective for a long time. But the more that I read scriptures, the more that, that the Lord worked in my heart, the more I realized this is not a secondary issue. This is a gospel issue. And again, over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk a bit about why it is, but I want to introduce that today. You see, I want to tell you that racism is one of the primary impediments to the gospel and people hearing the gospel today. All right, so a number of years ago, a guy named Stephen Covey wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm sure many of us have heard of this book. One of those habits was this, think with the end in mind. Okay, now Covey is a Mormon, but he freely admits that he took this principle directly from the Christian scriptures. Uh, God frequently throughout scripture will 
use this idea of the end in mind. Picture this thing so that you can have an example of how to live your life and be encouraged by faith. Let me give an example out of uh, Colossians chapter three. Starting in verse two, it says this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so here, what Paul is doing and what the Lord is doing is he's telling us, picture in your mind what you at present cannot see with your eyes. And it is this picture, it is this hope within you that will now give you the strength and the ability to sustain you. Um, it's this vision then that somehow it becomes something like a blueprint, right? Uh, this idea that, okay, a blueprint is, is just a, a piece of paper that pictures a vision for something that is coming. But a blueprint also gives you a way to go now. You see, as you see this picture, it then directs you as to how you should build the building. What God is doing us by, by giving us these pictures of the future is it's not simply... Uh, wait until this happens one day. It's to help us to live into that picture even now. In contrast, of course, right, if we don't have this end goal in mind, then we are going to veer off and we're probably going to make decisions that don't build the building correctly. Uh, so having looked at this scripture, okay, uh, if we're to set our minds on things above, well, what, what do those things look like? We're not given too many pictures in scripture directly that give us insight into heaven, but we're given one really powerful one uh, that stands out in this context. It's Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. It says this, After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let that picture just sit in your mind for a minute, because this is another one of those think with the end in mind. One day, gathered around the throne, there were going to be people of every tribe, nation, language, every people, all there. And catch this, if you follow Jesus Christ, you will be in that crowd. You will be gathered around and there will be a face-to-face -face reconciliation that you have with God so that you can be there together with him. And then also there will be reconciliation fully realized between humanity. There will be no more division, there will be no more disparity, there will be no more racism. All of us will be together, and that has been God's vision for humanity forever. But this is not just the community that's going to come one day. This is the community that God is saying he wants to see begin now. And how do we know that this is what God wants? Well, Jesus told us. So when, when the disciples went to Jesus, they said, would you please teach us how to pray? He said this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus tells us to pray that God's kingdom would come to earth, not one day in the future, it will in its fullness, but Jesus says, pray that it begins to come even now, that the future begins to invade the present now, even as it is in heaven. He doesn't say, pray for patience that one day all the fullness of God is gonna one day, bam, and, and no, he says, pray now that it begins to break in and that God would have it break in now. And how does this future begin to come to the earth? It comes in and through the church. We are to be those who God has infused and filled with his Holy Spirit who are now different and begin to resemble the future. Maybe you've never thought about it this, uh, but the church exists to bring the customs, the practices of a faraway place called heaven and to bring them into the culture, into our society, our communities even now to begin to get a foretaste of what heaven is like. It's to become a community where all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages all come together as one and they experience not only reconciliation with God, but with one another as well. That is the end that God has always had in mind, and that's the end that God wants us to begin to work together as the church. And so if you ask me, pastor, is racism a gospel issue, how could it not be? You see, because if we are reconciled together with God, and God then says, okay, I want all my children to come together and get along, how could racism even be a part of it? And so absolutely, it is a distortion of the gospel for us not to reconcile with one another. And so anywhere that sin even, or that racism even has an influence, it is sin, especially within the church, because of all the places in the world that are supposed to be the leading place that is bringing healing and wholeness and example of how to do this, it should be the church, right? Well, let me put this a little bit differently, okay? Let me give you a visual. In the gospel, there is both a vertical aspect of our reconciliation with God and a horizontal, okay? You can, you can look at the cross as this, right? There's a vertical uh, re reconciliation that God wants us to have with him and a horizontal reconciliation with one another. Now, those of us who are in this evangelical tribe rightfully critique those who are more liberal and say, if you only emphasize the reconciliation between humanity without reconciling with God, you're really not preaching the gospel. Okay, because we recognize that you need the power of God in Jesus Christ, not anybody else, only through Jesus Christ, to bring about the reconciliation you're even seeking. Right. But those of us who are the evangelical tribe, if we only and primarily emphasize the vertical without the horizontal, we in essence also are distorting the gospel. If we're only preaching a gospel that says, how do I get into heaven when I die one day? Without emphasizing, and I must also reconcile with my brother and sister, we too 
are distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not either or, it must be both and. And historically, the church has struggled to keep these two together. Not just recently, but from the beginning. You see, some of the same things that we struggle with now, the early church struggled with then as well because they also struggled with sin. Now, the racist issues that we deal with now are much different than what they dealt with then, but the idea of humanity coming together is nothing new. And so let's take a look at an example in the early church where Paul was writing to these Christians in Ephesus. And these Christians in Ephesus, Ephesus was like a, a really metropolitan city. They had people from all over the world just in the same way as a New York would today or a Los Angeles, Chicago, Cleveland. Okay, you've got all of a sudden because they started preaching the gospel, you have Jewish people and you have Gentile, non-Jewish people together. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you know they did not get along well. In fact, the Jewish people really hated, ultimately, the Gentiles. And so to bring them together was going to be a, a, a real struggle. But the gospel said, you must come together. There was a season where it was necessary for the Jewish people to be separated so that they could be a formed people, different than the world. But when Jesus Christ brought down this wall, now you must come together. And so here's what happens. In Ephesians 2, Paul emphasizes this vertical aspect of the gospel when he writes in verse 8, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Okay, there's the vertical. And I can go on, and if you want, later on, you can read the whole beginning of the chapter because he emphasizes this. And then he goes on to the horizontal aspect. And we're going to look at this chunk, and it's much bigger and a little more challenging to read. Let's take a look at verse 11. And it says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you are, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body with human hands. That's the Jewish people. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, and without hope and without God in the world. Then Jesus Christ brings vertical reconciliation. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's vertical. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Here's the horizontal and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose, catch this, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near, okay? And through him, we both have access to the Father by the one spirit. So consequently, you Gentiles, anyone who's outside, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, okay? I don't know, we, that word household, do you want there to be fighting in your household? Do you have, in your household, there are different groups of people who live separately? I hope not. 
It's not an ideal household, right? But here's Paul. He's saying that when Christ died, he destroyed this dividing wall of hostility. That reference to a wall is a reference to the temple. If you know the temple, there were different walls separating different people from where they could worship God. On the outside, there was a court of the Gentiles out here, okay? Then you have the court of the women. Closer in, you have the court of the men, then in the court of the priests. Four different places, four different separations. Paul says in Jesus Christ, the walls came down. The Gentiles knew that they could go no further than the outer court. This is the, 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 the side, and, but, but Paul says, you who were once far off, they were segregated from their Jewish brothers and sisters, but now, he says, thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, who dismantled this wall. And now, all of these groups, these two groups, there is neither Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, all now have equal and open access to God through Jesus Christ because of the cross. Paul says Jesus Christ died to dismantle this wall. This is total horizontal so that you can come together as this one new man, this one new humanity. All right, so let me just get a little technical here because I'm going to geek out on you just a little bit. You with me? Yeah, we're with you, Pastor. Okay, in Greek, there is two words that you can use for the word new. One is neos, and another is kinos. Just so I know you're with me, play with me. Neos and kinos, all right? All right. Neos is something like the newest thing. It's like the Tesla rolling off the, the conveyor belt, right? Uh, uh, or the uh, uh, latest jet plane, okay, fighter plane, whatever. Uh, but Kinos is something different. It is the original new invention. It is, it is the brand new idea. So if, if Neos is the Tesla, then Kinos is the Model T, right? If Neos is the, the brand new transcontinental jet, well, uh, Kinos was the Wright Brothers plane. You see this? All right, when Paul says there is a new humanity, he doesn't use the word Neos. He uses the word Kinos. Think about the implication of this, okay? He is saying God is creating something that has never existed before. One new humanity that is supposed to be the church. That people who are far away are to come together, who are different, to be one. That is why, Paul, uh, why Christ tore down these walls so that we can come together as one humanity. But here's the tragedy, of course. Too often, particularly in the American church, we have actually built new dividing walls to replace the ones that Christ brought down. In 1787, there was a African-American man. He was worshiping at a church where there were both African-Americans and people of European descent. He was kneeling down at the front. 
The problem was he was kneeling in the white section. The white people didn't even let him finish his prayer. They pulled him up and they showed him out the door. The other African Americans in the congregation were aghast and they followed him out the door. The next day, they bought the vacant blacksmith shop down the road and they started their own church, the African American Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME denomination. So this became the sad trajectory of what happened in our country. Just as every African American, almost every African American denomination started because there were white people who built a new wall of division. And today, we drive around town and we just think it's normal. We think it's normal that the black church is down there and the white church is over here, and we just think, well, no big deal. It is a huge deal. It is absolutely not the way that God ever intended us to be. And somebody could say, well, you know, we live on different sides of town. I'm not going to get into it today, but there's reasons that happened as well. But the church of Jesus Christ is to bring together every tribe, tongue, nation, and, and, and different people together as one kaleidoscope, a new creation. A few months ago, I met with one of our members. He's an African-American man, and he said, Pastor, I'm just hurting over all of this. What, what can we do? And, you know, there's many things that we can do individually, but we started talking. He really was asking, what are we going to do about it? And I said, you know, actually, the most radical and wonderful thing I think we can ever do is what if we took a group of white people and black people and we put them together in a neighborhood with brown people and then we had them all worship Jesus together? What about that? What if we did that? And then what if we called it Bridge City Church? You see, you need the vertical to bring true healing, but it doesn't stop there. We have to do what we can to bring these things together as one. I think it's incredibly radical. That's not, it's not the cool thing to do, okay? It wasn't what the new pastor wanted to do. It's what God pushed us into. I'm really excited about it. Um, so, thank you. And except for this strange year, every year the NFL has this game called the Pro Bowl. It's not really a game, okay? It's kind of like uh, an exhibition, right, that nobody wants to watch. But you take people who are the best on different teams and you bring them together in two different teams. And for one afternoon, those two teams will play one another. But then when it's all over, they go back home. Growing up in this church, I can't tell you how deeply influenced I was by having Hugh Auburn and the choir and pastor from Morningstar Baptist, Earl Preston, come here uh, on uh, an annual basis to model their friendship and model our relationship. I think one of the reasons why God is doing what he's doing today in our church is because of what they did those years ago. And God said, I want to take you to the next step. And as much as I loved that, and, and I was deeply impressed by it because it told me we can overcome these divisions in denomination and in our ethnicities. 
Uh, but as good as that was, and it was really good, it was a little bit something like the Pro Bowl. We brought our teams together, and we played together for a day, but then our teams went back. But what God is doing today is a more permanent, multi-ethnic team that he's building for the purpose of showing the world what true healing and reconciliation can look like and how to do it in a world that can't figure out. Why? Because you can't just do the horizontal without the Jesus Christ vertical. The church is supposed to be the leader, the forefront of working this out. Again, it's not just a cool thing. This is God's cool thing. This is what he's always wanted. All right, before I close, let me give you this. I want to give you a couple pieces of, of homework, if you will. If you, uh, we, we're a country just about to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. If you have never read Letters from a Birmingham Jail, Letter from a Birmingham Jail, it is absolutely uh, one of the most convicting things I have read um, as a pastor, and it is unbelievably beautiful. It's written by Martin Luther King when he was in jail, and it was a letter written to predominantly the white pastors at the time who said, you know what, we just need to slow this process down. We, we really um, need to think about this differently. And they engage in this dialogue to say, maybe we should bring this together as one church. It'll take you 15 minutes, and, and it's powerful. You can find it almost anywhere on the web if you search letter to a Birmingham, uh, from Birmingham jail. We'll, but we'll also have it up on our website, which leads me to the other thing I mentioned at the beginning. If you're interested in the subject, a lot of people uh, have contacted me and the other pastors and said, do you have any good resources that we would be able to look at? We're going to list some resources there. Uh, some things that are, of, I mean, clearly Christian, some things that are more secular, uh, but we think that there are good ways to engage um, in this subject. And again, finally, uh, we would encourage you to tune in to be on the website uh, for the pastor chats. And if you have a question about this, you can email it to the be the bridge at baypress.org. We can't answer all the questions, we're going to try. So let me just summarize this, okay? Humanity, it's deeply wounded because of sin. Uh, we have been divided, not only and separated from God because of our sin, and now we recognize in one aspect, our world is hurting so much because they say this isn't right. They, even the world knows this isn't right. And they, so they want to kind of try to bring it together and can't because what they're really looking for is the great physician, the one who can bring it together, the only one who can heal this really deep wound and the scars of racism. And I'm so excited about God bringing this together with our two churches. So excited about Kian, so excited about the people who are saying, I'm going to go do this, uh, and we're all gonna do it together. It's not gonna be easy, but whenever the Lord's gospel is proclaimed, he will bless it. And so I look forward to what God's gonna do. Thank you for engaging with me in this process. And let's just pray that God continues to do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, we just want to pray uh, what Jesus taught us. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth, even as it is in heaven. And Father, we would ask in this circumstance that what we would love to see from heaven breaking in is what you show us the future is, which is every tribe, tongue, nation, skin color of people, all this beautiful mosaic coming together. And we would ask, Lord, that you would help us to be your instrument of healing at a time where the world is hurting, not just for the sake of showing togetherness, but for showing Jesus Christ, for showing people the body of Christ. This is what the body of Christ looks like. And may it bring things we can't even dare to ask or imagine. And it can only happen through your Holy Spirit. Father, none of us alone can heal the past and the wounds of the present. But we know Jesus and the cross paid for it all. We just ask for your guidance to help us to be, again, your instrument of healing and hope. And we lift all of this to you, Lord. Through the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.